Well, good morning again. Uh, we are, I mentioned it earlier, we're in the second week of this series called Winning the War in Your Mind. Um, and uh, if you missed last week, I would encourage you to do something. Head to our website, head to wherever you find podcasts, check it out. It's not because what I said was so awesome. Um, but it sets a foundation for the month, and it really kind of fills in some gaps. We're going to kind of summarize what we talked about last week, just so we know where we're headed, but um, I believe that there's something uh, from last week for each and every one of us, so don't miss out on that if you weren't able to be with us in person or online last week, but we're talking about the war that goes on right between the ears. That battle that we all have that nobody else knows about, maybe our spouse does, maybe a a friend does, but um, there's stuff that happens up here that we have to navigate, and it's hard to make sense of on our own. And so that's kind of where we are, because those battles, those wars going on in our mind, they're challenging, they're overwhelming, they're the cause of anxiety and emotional difficulties that we deal with here in our lives. And it's all because Satan wants to camp out in our mind and tell us how terrible, how rotten, how much of a mistake we are each and every day. That is his goal. That's what he wants to do. We talked about how his goal is, the enemy's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And that is what he wants to do in our mind. He wants to steal our joy, our hope, our peace, our patience, our faith, all those fruits of the spirit. He wants to reclaim those. And he wants to insert something that takes over. He wants to insert anxious thoughts, turmoil, hurt, bitterness, a temper, loss of faith, hopelessness, unforgiveness. He wants to switch those out because he wants to create a space in our own mind that is so tough to access and then plant the thing that he knows will tear us apart so that we are part of the process of destroying ourselves. That ourselves, that is his goal. He knows, as dumb as Satan is, he knows, like we talked about last week, that the majority of life's battles are won or lost in our minds. And we talked about inserting Jesus into the midst of those. We talked about identifying what that strong, excuse me, what that stronghold is, that lie, that thought, that action, that area of, of feeling guilt, identifying what it is that's holding us back and then replace it with the truth of God. We talked about the importance of scripture and I realize that there's times where you, you know something's wrong, but you can't think of what scripture makes sense to replace that lie with the truth. And so we talked about replacing that lie with just the person of Jesus, giving that thought, giving that stronghold over to him, taking, uh, taking that thought captive and allowing God to work in that moment. Romans 12, 2, I just kind of mentioned it. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When we allow God to renew our hearts, renew our minds, refresh our perspective, not only can we tell what God's will is, but I think there's other things that happen. God helps us decipher his voice and the voice of the enemy. 
He helps us drown out our own voice that's maybe feeding into those lies and replace it with his own voice in our minds. It's something that God wants to do for each and every one of us. But you know what? As humans, we're not perfect. We have all made at least a single mistake, you know, in our lives. Some of us, maybe two. Um, And we can be a little irrational. Anyone in here guilty of being a little rational? Okay. Um, Anyone who's ever been around a child understands irrationality. Um, Irration, I don't know if that's a word, but... um, You know, you make the exact lunch that your toddler wants, but you put it on the plate in the wrong order, and you might as well have just thrown the the lunch in the garbage, because that's where it's going to go anyways. It's the end of the world. It's a little irrational in thinking. But we get to these experiences in our life where we literally, we cannot make sense of anything. We cannot act like a human being, and our thought process is a little screwy. Um, my family knows this and they've experienced this. And so um, and it's actually when it happens, it's very serious. But after the fact, we can kind of laugh about different circumstances. But I, I'm a diabetic. And um, when my blood sugar crashes, I become very irrational because nothing is functioning correctly in my mind. I can't make sense of what I need and the appropriate steps to take to get that. And so there's things that happen um, every couple of months when one of these situations comes up, I get a little argumentative sometimes. I get very stubborn. Um, there was a situation, this was, uh, I don't know, maybe eight years ago, where my wife knew my blood sugar was low, and I wouldn't do anything she asked me to do. And she got me juice, she got me what I needed, and I wouldn't do anything. And so she tattled on me, and she called my mom, and... At one point during the event, I had Amy's phone talking to my mom. I had my phone talking to my dad. I wasn't listening to anyone, and I was being kind of a jerk. And, of course, after the fact, I have no recollection of it. I just, I was not making any sense. I was irrational in that, in that moment. I remember another time when I was in high school, I would wake up in the middle of the night and my blood sugar was low. I realized I needed something to eat or drink. So I'd go to the refrigerator and then the next thing I realized is my stomach hurt. And the reason why is because in that eight minutes or whatever it was, I ate two apples, half a carton of strawberries, orange juice, and half a container of cake frosting. Right? Like I could not make a, a, a normal decision for anything now, it accomplished what I needed to because I went from, you know, super low to through the roof, but I, I, I didn't have the ability to make a rational decision. We get in situations where we get overwhelmed, we have no idea how to respond. And that's part of what I want to accomplish through this month is give you some, some ways that we can respond when we're aware of what's going on in our minds, but we feel like we're, we don't have control. We feel like we can't right the ship you know, it, 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 we all experience things, you know, this irrational response. Maybe you have a, a rough day at work and you know that you need to be patient with your spouse or your kids, but you, immediately you find yourself getting upset. It's not their fault, but you find yourself yelling. You find yourself frustrated. Maybe you want to save money. I said this is one that affects us. You want to save some money. And the next thing you realize is you're sitting at Applebee's doing the exact opposite of just that. 
Maybe you want to trust in God, but you become crippled by worry that God's way just won't work out. We as humans are irrational. We get our wires crossed when these things happen. So if we want to win this war in our mind, if we want to evict Satan from the stronghold that he's trying to establish in our minds, we have to uncross those wires. We have to fix our thinking and we have to be able to think straight. Sometimes for some reason we find ourselves in a position where we just can't make the right decisions on our own. We're, we can be guilty of reinforcing negative thoughts in our lives. I love kids because they can teach you life lessons through very simple means. And Levi is almost four. And so things that happen that are just kind of normal, they're amplified for, for kids, right? The smallest thing can be the biggest thing and it can create an impression that lasts much longer than the actual situation. And so a couple of weeks ago, Levi woke up in the middle of the night, came into our bedroom. Sometimes you're aware that that's happening. Sometimes you roll over and there's just a tiny human next to you. And you don't know what's happening. And he does this really adorable thing um, where he totally forgets what personal space is. And so he wants to be like, on your hip, or he did this thing a while ago where he would just lay his legs across your chest. What are you doing? And, and then what he'll do is, while he's getting comfortable, he'll go from being next to me, and then he wants to be by mom, so he'll just roll across the bed. Now we have a king-size bed, so he goes from one side to the other, and um, this particular night, he did that. He went from me to mom, but Amy was not in the bed. He did not realize this. She was up with the baby. So he rolled off the edge of the bed. Now, that would have been bad enough, but on his way down, he landed on her end table and got the corner of it right up his spine, had a big old cut, big old screaming bloody murder. It's two in the morning, uh, you know, just the best. Now the baby's up, now mom's, everybody's up. And as a result, he has this like fear of end tables. He's four years old but he is afraid of end tables. Now, his mind doesn't tell him, hey, I fell off because I rolled out of the bed. And it doesn't tell him, hey, maybe if I stayed in my own bed, this wouldn't have happened. He just looks at end table as being bad, right? He doesn't have the ability at his age to uncross the wires, look at it the way that he needs to with fresh eyes and make sense of it. And that's how we are as humans. We touched on it last week, but the more that we think a thought, the easier it becomes to think that thought again. And that goes good and bad thoughts. So whatever Satan wants us to have in our minds, the more that we go to that thought, the more we go to that weakness, that area of, of sin, whatever it might be, the easier it is to get back into that place. But it works the other way too. The more we think thoughts in line with God's truth, in line with his word, the easier it is to go back there when we need it. Every thought we have matters because our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. Think of that for a second. Our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. So what goes into our mind comes out. And if we can't 
have any control over what we think, it's gonna be really hard to control what we do. But there is in fact some hope because scripture gives us some things that we can apply to our lives. God wants to assist us in this war going on in our mind to make sure that we're not overwhelmed, to make sure that we're not lost in, in the battle and to give us hope during this. And so part of it is about training our minds. And to me, that seems overwhelming because I know a little bit of, you know, the cobwebs that are up here and, you know, all the the thoughts that are bouncing around. And so it's hard to think of actually training our minds, but we're supposed to do just that. It's a lot like training our bodies. First Timothy 4, 8 says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Training our minds, our hearts to focus on God, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, a lot of you know and are familiar with the story of Pastor Kevin's cardiac arrest. He shared it over over the years. And um, I want to share this story briefly, the briefest version of it, but from a little different perspective. I'm his son, and um, I experienced that a little different than he did. Um, But uh, January 26th, it was 2018, I was sitting down to dinner. I was at my parents' house, so it was me and Amy and my mom. I'm sure Isaac was there as well. And um, dad was at Zumba. He said he needed to be at Zumba, which I thought was the dumbest thing ever because he was fasting at the time. And I thought, those don't make sense to me. Physical activity and no food, it's hard for me to make sense of it, but it makes sense after the fact. So he goes to Zumba, I knew he was there. We sit down to dinner and my, my phone rings. And sometimes when your phone rings, all you have to do is look at the name and you know something is wrong. You don't know what it is, but you know something is wrong. And the name on my phone that popped up was Phil Pennell. Phil was in first service sitting right about here. The reason why my stomach began to feel funny is because Phil was teaching the class that dad was at. So I knew that class had started, that he should be busy right now, and he's calling me. So I answer the phone. I don't remember exactly what he said, but roughly, your dad collapsed. We gave him CPR. Medics are on the way. He's going to the emergency room. You see in movies or you hear people talk about time like slowing down, it's very real. I don't, I mean, I know we got in the car, but I don't remember getting to the emergency room, which means I probably got there too quickly. Um, But my mom and I, we went, we met him at the ER. We saw him, obviously everything that happened afterwards. It was a miracle that what happened happened. It was a miracle that he was there because it didn't make any sense that he was going. It was a miracle that the week or so before Phil had changed the batteries in the AED that they used to start his heart again. It was a miracle that Avery was there to administer CPR and um, the list goes on and on and on. But before his cardiac arrest, he was in the best shape of his life. I don't understand this, but he loves and still, he loved and still does love running. I don't get it, it's dumb, but he, he was running all the time. So he was in great shape. And, and so what he, he always says is you can't outrun genetics. 
they'll catch up with you eventually. But I, and maybe he didn't ever say this to me, but I know he was discouraged because he went from running every single day, doing, doing races, things that he loved, to all of a sudden they crack your chest open and it's a challenge just, just to learn to get out of bed, let alone get dressed, let alone tie your shoes, let alone have the, the lung and heart capacity to walk, not to mention anything else. So he's going through this recovery. It's a long recovery. And I don't remember when he said this, but he said something kind of cruel to me, actually. I don't think this was the intention, but it still came across this way. He, he said, hey, Benjamin, I am gonna do something that I want you to do with me. And I want you to do a Tough mutter with me. And if you don't know what a Tough mutter is, basically it's an event that you run a total of 10 miles and about every mile or mile and a half, you do some stupid obstacle. It's like, it's jump into a garbage can, or like, a, like, a, like a garbage bin, like a giant one full of ice. And, you know, it's just stupid. Run through this, this maze of electric wires and get shocked. Like, what, why? But the, the person looking me in the eye, asking me to do this with them, died. So what excuse do I have? I can't, like, well, it's um, fall. I don't want to. Um, no, so I agreed to it. Um, I, I felt like I needed to do that, but I realized I couldn't just show up and do it. I am not a runner. I hate running. I told you it's dumb. Uh, so I had to train. I had to do some training. And I realized that the only way that I could train with my dad, who loves to run and enjoys it and is good at it, is if I trained while he recovered from open heart surgery. It was the only way that I could match his like stamina, his pace. So that's what we did. Throughout the summer, we would run a couple times a week. And um, it started off, I felt okay because we were kind of at the same pace. But pretty soon, he started to recover and started to feel better. And, and then I'm noticing this guy who died just kind of take off in front of me and leave me behind. And that's when I quit running. Um, because it was the worst. But we did it together. We did the Tough Mudder, but not, it wouldn't have worked without training. I had to get myself in a position that I at least could survive something like that. So if we're talking about training our mind, it's not only about what we do with our mind, but it's about what we put in it. People who are training, who run a lot, they, they're very careful with what they put in their bodies because they need their body to perform, to do certain things. Healthy eating helps us train our bodies. Healthy thinking, thinking on God's truth, it does the exact same thing. It's not about just identifying what needs to be different in our minds, but it also is about making sure what we're putting into it supports what God wants to do in us. Paul tells us very, very specifically what we should put into our minds. Philippians 4, 8 says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is ad admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That list is the exact opposite of the list of strongholds that we've talked about over last week. Those things that Satan tries to get you to believe, that you're worthless, that you're a failure, you're a bad mom, you're a bad parent, you'll never amount to anything, you'll always be in debt, all of those things, that list that Paul tells us is literally the polar opposite. And he's telling us to put those things in our mind. 
Now, the beautiful thing is if we look at that list, true, noble, right, pure, those are all characteristics of who Jesus is. So Paul's telling us that's what we need to be putting into our minds is the things of Jesus. The New King James Version actually tells us to meditate on such things. And I, uh, I remember you see that word meditate and you have, you, you have a, con- a connotation that you associate with that. And for me, it wasn't a good connotation. Um, but I, I was reading something I was talking about. Eastern meditation is all about emptying your mind, but meditating as a Christ follower, meditating on something like this is all about filling our minds with the things of Jesus. And so we are to meditate, to reflect on, to pour into our lives those types of things that are part of who Jesus is. Some people are are blessed with a great focus. They can lock in on something and nothing's gonna distract them. But others of us, it's like we're we're three-year-olds and we can't focus on anything. And when, when our minds wander, I think human nature is for them not to wander somewhere that's beneficial, right? It's hard, I don't think it's common at least for our minds to wander um, to scripture or to the promises of God. It's much easier for us to wander to the lies of the enemy. It's to wander to temptation. It's to wander to that area of sin that we struggle with. It's to wander to being wasteful with our time, whatever it might be. That's That's a part of being human. So we have to be able to make sure that we have a grasp on our mind. We need to train our minds to recalibrate if we're going to take back our mind and win the war in it. So very quickly, two points. The first one, replace, remind, reflect, repeat. It's not that complicated, I promise. But last week, we identified these strongholds that Satan wants to use in our mind. We we identified what it might be and how we need to replace it with God's truth. We need to replace the lie with the truth of God. We need to replace what he's told us that we're worthless, that we're, we're a failure, all those sort of things. We have to replace it with what Jesus says about us, that we're a son and a daughter of his, that we are loved and chosen and all of those things. But today we're gonna add on to it because it's not a set it and forget it type of solution. Part of training is doing the same thing over and over and over again until you no longer have to think about what your response should be. You don't have to think about what's next because it's become second nature. So on Friday of this past week, Amy and I, my wife, we got to do something pretty, pretty unique, something that we hadn't ever talked about doing ourselves. And it was, it was actually a lot of fun. And it's kind of cool because um, my wife works with Caitlin's husband, Ethan. So anytime there's this, like a, like a work event, like we all get to go. And so we have some friends that we can have these cool shared experiences with. And, um, and it's, it's a lot of fun. So we got to go with them and we ended up in Niagara, Wisconsin which is, if you blink, you're gone, you're through it, it's small, you know. But we went uh, whitewater rafting. And again, not something I had ever really thought of doing, especially in a place like that. Like, it's a small place, but um, there's, there's uh, some outfit, you know, some guides there that, that take you out. And so this was like something for their, for their, their office. And so um, we were getting ready to do it and you're not sure what to expect. And people give you their, 
how, their experience or how they think it would go. Oh, I, wouldn't, I could never do that. And a friend who was here in first service, he, he kind of casually told me that he fell off into the river when they did theirs. I didn't tell my wife that because she was a little nervous as it was. Um, you know, there's a lot of people, they have different thoughts of kind of how it should go. So you gear, you go there, you gear up, you get your life jackets, you get your helmet, you make sure you have your water shoes on, the most flattering piece of apparel that you can ever own. Um, and you, they throw you in a bus and you go down to the river. Now, our guide told us that he used to guide for a place in Tennessee that when you would get to the river, where you would get in the boat was on a rapid. Like, as soon as you're in, you better be ready because you are there. Now, this was not the case. We launched, and it was nice and calm, and it was a mile or two of just real calm river. And, and it was great because they used it as an opportunity to train us, to make sure that we were comfortable with what was about to happen and what to do. So we played some games, and they were just designed to get you to fall into the river, and so you were comfortable with the water. And then you practiced on pulling people up, and literally you grab them by the life jacket, you pick them up, and then you fall. And that's how you get them out. And so you did all these things to make sure that you knew what to do. You went over commands. So the, the guide would say, all forward, so you're all paddling forward, or all back, or uh, left forwards, whatever it might be. They have you practice all of these things, and there's a method to that downtime. So we head closer to the rapids, and I was feeling okay, right? You're, you're having some fun. You're with your wife. You're doing, you know, it's, you, things are going well. And then all of a sudden, we were the second boat in line. And I could see the first boat up. You can hear the rapids and all, all this sort of stuff. And all of a sudden, that boat just goes whoop, and it's gone, completely gone. And you're like, wait a second, this is weird. And so then pretty soon, you're getting close, and you're kind of, you're, you're trying to make sure you're listening so that you're, you can respond well, all these different things. And... Um, it's not, it's all about how you react. You have to be able to react quickly because it's easy to do on calm water, but it can be hard to remember what you need to do when you're getting thrown from your seat halfway through a class four rapid and you recover and you hear the guide say left forward, but you're on the right side of the boat. So you have to remember if they say left forward, that means either I do nothing or I paddle backwards, right? And so you have to reflect, you have to remember the training that you've received in that moment to make sure that you know how to respond. So whitewater rafting, do it. It was a lot of fun. I would recommend it. We had a blast. Um, But in the same way, we have to be active in the war that's in our mind. We might only need to identify what's at the root of that stronghold one time, but we have to remember what it is every single day. We have to remind ourselves that that is what Satan's going to use to attack us. And then we have to reflect on God's truth. We insert the truth into the lie. Then we have to reflect on what it means. We have to remind ourselves who God is in that moment. And we have to repeat it until it becomes part of who we are. Last week, we touched on 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought. Those thoughts we capture and we give over to God. We replace them with God's truth, but we, we hand them over to Jesus, and they're no longer our own. Pastor Groeschel says, write it, think it, confess it until you believe it. Write down what that area of your life is that you know Satan will want to use. 
Write it down, the thoughts or the lie that you're taking captive. Replace it with and think on God's truth. Confess the sin that might be associated with it and do it until it's who you are, part of who you are. So secondly, very quickly, we need to go on the offensive. It's offensive in sports, not offensive as being rude, okay? War shifts when, when there's a change in momentum, when ground is gained up, when gained, when there's reinforcements that come, that's when war kind of changes. And this point might sound misleading because when it comes to the war in our mind, when it comes to what's going on in my head, I can't do it on my own. So I can't make a change just myself and, and really do a whole lot about it. But there's some things that we have to do. We have to choose to stop being a victim in that moment and choose to become, to allow God to make us a victor. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submitting ourselves to something doesn't seem like a position of strength because we're lowering our position and we're inserting someone else to it. But Paul said, that when he is weak, he's actually the, the strongest because when we're at, our, at the, the end of ourselves, the end of our ability, the end of our strength, and we have to give everything over to God, that's actually when we're the strongest. And so we have to be willing to submit to God and allow him to go on the offensive on our behalf. Submission to God isn't weak. There's strength in it, just like Paul said. Psalm 18, two says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I love that he uses the word stronghold at the end because we're trying to identify the stronghold that Satan wants to establish in our minds. And David is telling us that God should be the stronghold in our minds, in our hearts. It should be the place that's impenetrable, that his truths are housed in and that we reflect in on on a regular basis. Over the last six or seven years ago, years, I've, I've started to follow uh, basketball a little bit more, and specifically the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm, I'm a Wisconsin sports fan, and um, if you've watched much basketball, maybe just had it on, you might have heard the name of this guy who plays for the Bucks. Um, his name is Giannis Antetokounmpo. He is also called the Greek Freak because he's from Greece, and he is freakish. He's 6'11", and he can do some pretty ridiculous things. And he is one of the best players in all of basketball. And um, he's an amazing defender. So he can defend his position. He can defend his basket when he needs to. And he can just do incredible, incredible things. But one of the things that really sets him apart is his ability to go from defense to offense. Because there's a switch. When you are defending, you're back on your heels, you're, you're in a place of vulnerability because you have to react to what's in front of you. And then when you switch to offense, everyone else is at your mercy and he can do that better than most. He's so big, he can literally get from one end of the court to the other, and I'm not exaggerating, like six or seven strides because he's that big. And so he can flip this switch He goes from a position of being vulnerable to one of being dominant, a place from being reactive to assertive, and it happens immediately. And that's what we need to be able to do in our lives when we realize what Satan is up to. We can't just kind of sit there and, all right, let's see how this goes. 
We can't just react and be like, okay, it's not a big deal. I've dealt with this before. We have to make a switch. And the switch happens when we identify what is going on, when we identify that that is the voice of Satan and we turn that thought over to God. That is when that switch goes from being defensive to go on offense. And the best part is, is once we give that over to Jesus, he takes care of the rest. And it's the only way that we can combat those things. Deuteronomy 20 verse four says, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. Deuteronomy 31.8 also says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Sometimes in the midst of those wars, it might be hard to tell where God is. We know he's with us. That's what scripture tells us. But sometimes you turn and you, you, you expect to, see God right there and you can't. But that's because he's not right next to you. He's ahead of you. Just as it just said in Deuteronomy, he goes before us. He's actively at work on your behalf, pertaining to the battle of the mind, pertaining to situations that you experience in your life. He's out ahead of us, creating a way where there is no way. He's orchestrating conversations and and things that will take place to remind you of who he is and what he wants to do in your life. And the beautiful thing is that we don't have to wage this war alone. So as we kind of conclude today, what we're gonna do, we're gonna do two things. First of all, I'm gonna read some phrases that I want you to hopefully connect with at least one of these. And these are phrases found in scripture. They're from Pastor Greg Rochelle, so they're not original to me. Um, But it's kind of a positive reinforcement founded in the word of God about some of these challenges that we face, some of these strongholds that we deal with in our lives. And so I want to encourage you, and I want you to to listen carefully because hopefully one of them is going to connect. And I want you to hang on to it this week. I want you to use this as something that you repeat over and over and over. Because the war happens every day. There's no timeouts, right? And I said this last week, but we should expect that the biggest fight we're gonna experience is the second we hit the parking lot. It's gonna be in the car, it's gonna be with the kids, it's gonna be with the spouse, it's gonna, the phone's gonna ring, it's gonna be a family member that we're struggling with. We should expect that because that's when Satan wants to capitalize And so I'm gonna read these and I want you to identify one. I want you to hang on to one. If you want the list, I can give you the list. And then what we're gonna do is we're we're gonna pray and we're gonna sing a song before we finish. And we're gonna sing that first song, I Thank God, because we're gonna thank God for these truths that we're about to read. We're gonna thank him for who he is in the midst of what's going on in our lives. And I want that to kind of be our celebration for what he's speaking to us today. So take a moment, listen to these and allow them to hopefully encourage you. You are strong and mighty. You have the power that raised Christ from the dead dwelling inside of you and you are a weapon of righteousness in a world of darkness. You are not your past. 
You are not what you did. You are who God says you are. And he says that you are forgiven. He says that you are redeemed. He says you are free. And he says you are a child of his. You are not a hostage to your unhealthy thoughts. The weapons you fight with are not weapons of this world. You have divine power to demolish those strongholds. You have the mind of Christ directing your thoughts. You have the word of God guiding your steps. Worry is not your master. You trust in God. His peace guards your heart, guards your mind, and guards your soul in Christ Jesus. Your God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. The Lord is your helper. You need not be afraid. You are not a slave to your habits. You are not a prisoner to an addiction. You have been rescued from the power of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's light. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for those truths, those those statements that we can connect with. And God, I pray that each and every one of us would have heard one of those and maybe for the first time ever, maybe for the first time in a long time, we were challenged by it. And God, I pray that we would be able to latch onto those truths that we find in your word and we would reflect on them every single day. We wouldn't wait until Satan tries to get at us, tries to frustrate us, tries to, tries to draw us away from you, but instead we would go on the offensive using your word, using the person of Jesus, the Holy Spirit present in our lives, that we would go after who you say we are, that we would go after your plans for our lives and that we wouldn't sit there and just wait for something to happen. But God, when it does, when we're, when we're there and, and Satan begins to mess with us, begins to tell us those lies, I pray that we would remember to substitute your truth for those lies, that we would reflect on what it means and that we would insert the person of Jesus into our situation. And God, I pray that as we do this, as we train our minds to re, not just react, but to go ahead, to look ahead, to be proactive in these areas, God, I pray that we would be able to see the war in our minds being won, not on our strength, but because of you. Father, I thank you that you are at work on our behalf. I thank you that you're not just beside us, but you're before us. God, you are making a way. And Lord, I pray that we would keep our eyes fixed on you. And as we take a few moments to sing, Father, I just pray that we would all be encouraged and challenged to thank you for who you are and that you would remind us of exactly who that is in the days to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.